It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, October 10th, Indigenous Peoples Day. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. The state's preschools are in the midst of a teacher shortage crisis. Classrooms sit empty even with families waiting to enroll. Details ahead on the California Report. Then, National Native News looks at the crusade to officially recognize Indigenous Peoples' Day in Massachusetts. We'll have your local news and weather before KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller takes us to space with a special on NASA's SpaceX Crew-5. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Janitors who work at the facilities of Facebook and its parent company, Meta, have been on strike since last Wednesday. They're protesting recent layoffs by SMB, the company that contracts with the social media giant. Late last week, the strikers received support from two major groups advocating for workers, Silicon Valley Rising and the South Bay Labor Council. Janitor Maria Garcia has worked at Facebook for seven years. She's delighted by the support the strike has received. Trust me, very happy, so happy, and I keep my fingers crossed to see my other brothers and sisters come back. Garcia has not been laid off. She and other workers say those of them who were left on the job got extra duties but no extra pay since the layoffs last month. The National Labor Relations Board has approved a union recognition election for dancers at a topless bar in North Hollywood. If the performers organize, KCRW's Tara Atrion reports they would become the only unionized strippers in the nation. Following months of demonstrations over unsafe working conditions and compensation, dancers at the Star Garden Topless Dive Bar in North Hollywood are a step closer to unionization. The National Labor Relations Board announced it will send a mail ballot for the strippers and the bar's DJs on October 14th. The ballots will then be counted in early November. If a majority of the Star Garden dancers and DJs choose to opt for a union and the NLRB certifies the results, the performers could be affiliated with the Actors' Equity Association, a live theater union representing more than 51,000 actors and stage managers. The vote is a major step towards making Star Garden the first labor-organized American strip club since performers at the Lusty Lady Peep Show in San Francisco began the Exotic Dancers Union in 1996. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. A teacher shortage has forced dozens of preschools in California to close classrooms since the start of the school year. KQED reporter Daisy Wynn visited a preschool in the Bay Area that had to close three classrooms. The site manager of Old Galinas Children's Center, Iris Marin, opens the door to a classroom where a group of preschoolers are playing and building with Legos. But across the hallway... In another classroom, the lights are off, the chairs are stacked on top of short desks, and the toys are untouched. Funding for this Head Start classroom is available, and plenty of families are waiting to enroll, but there aren't enough teachers. Marine says many teachers quit during the pandemic shutdown. When the school reopened, the staffing shortage got worse. During the spread of the Omicron variant in the spring, Teachers frequently called in sick, and she scrambled to find a substitute. When she came up short, she called parents at the last minute to cancel class for that day. It was really a a huge struggle. Like, 
sometimes crying because really you didn't want to to do it and there was not any other option. They call it the perfect storm, but I think it's the perfect horrible storm. That's Chris Miracle, executive director of Head Start California. Last month, a survey of subsidized early education programs in the state showed that the programs are missing up to 5,000 teachers. You know, you've got inflation. You've got a rising minimum wage that makes it more attractive for people who, in Head Start, who have to do a lot of work every day. It's hard work. You know, they can go to McDonald's. Low wages were driving away early childhood educators, most of them women of color, long before the pandemic. But the emotional and financial stress, plus the health risk of working during the crisis, drove them to quit faster. The survey shows many teachers quit, moved to more affordable areas, or left for better opportunities in public schools. There's growing demand for them as the state pours 2.7 billion dollars into a plan to offer transitional kindergarten for all four-year-olds. Tens of thousands of teachers at home or community-based preschools could double their salaries by working in a TK classroom. Scott Moore is CEO of Kidango, the largest childcare provider in the Bay Area. It makes us work harder to increase our wages and benefits even more. To try to keep teachers from fleeing, providers are offering retention bonuses, pay raises, and other incentives. Moore says he can pay teachers better. Thanks to a surge of funding from the state, at Old Galinas in San Rafael, managers recently closed three classrooms to avoid staff burnout. Before the pandemic, the nonprofit that operates this preschool and other Head Start sites in Marin County served more than a thousand kids from low-income families. Today, less than 500 are enrolled. Iris Marin says, despite the stress, she stays in her job because she loves working with kids and seeing them blossom. Right now is my 15 years here, and when I see children around, just finishing high school, it's just amazing. It's just amazing, and see, oh my goodness, here they are succeeding. She says that makes all the hard work worthwhile. For the California Report, I'm Daisy Nguyen. Today is a holiday, but which one depends on the calendar you're looking at. The federal government considers today Columbus Day in honor of 15th-century explorer and colonizer Christopher Columbus. But a growing number of cities, including San Francisco, San Jose, and Los Angeles, celebrate today as Indigenous Peoples Day. Here at the California Report, we're celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day with a focus on Nicole Anapu Man. She became the first Native woman to reach space last week as commander for the NASA SpaceX Crew-5 mission to the International Space Station. It's incredible to be in space, Mom. Look, I'm finally in space. <laughs> Man is enrolled with the Wailaki of the Round Valley Indian tribes in Northern California. While on the space station, she will experiment with 3D printing human cells and conduct research on cardiovascular disease. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com/ca. Guideline: The California Way to 401k. The California Healthcare Foundation working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org/health-equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. 
Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Monday, October 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Despite over 20 communities in Massachusetts officially recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day, efforts to replace Columbus Day with the acknowledgement and celebration of Native peoples statewide have stalled. More on the Indigenous Peoples Day campaign in the state of Massachusetts, coming up on National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous Peoples Day celebrations are taking place across the country. Events are recognizing the contributions of Indigenous people and celebrating resiliency. A number of cities and states officially recognize Indigenous Peoples Day instead of the federal Columbus Day holiday. The effort to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day has stalled in Massachusetts. Lawmakers there decided not to vote on the matter. Supporters say they want to set the record straight on history. Catherine Carley reports. While the Commonwealth still recognizes today as Columbus Day, backers of replacing it with Indigenous Peoples Day say this would be an important first step in honoring the history and resilience of Native peoples. And they say momentum is on their side. In libraries, parks, museums, and town halls, supporters of Indigenous Peoples Day are gathering to celebrate the heritage of Native Americans. Matoe Monroe of the Massachusetts Statewide Indigenous Peoples Day campaign says more young people are questioning the history of Columbus and Native Americans they've learned in school, and they want to know where Native Americans are today. It's really important to have an understanding of local Indigenous history, to understand whose land you're on, to understand what tribal peoples live in your area, things like that. Monroe says changing the holiday would help undo some of the harm done to Indigenous people and replace it with something positive. More than 20 communities in the Commonwealth, including Boston, officially recognize Indigenous Peoples Day, and supporters plan to refile their bill before the legislative session begins in January. Monroe thinks now more than ever, Indigenous voices are needed in the public sphere, especially in solving climate change. She says many Native communities are directly affected by the warming climate due to their relationship with the environment and that others can learn from their experience. But the problem has been that non-Native people often don't listen to Indigenous people. This is a way of trying to improve some things and recenter things. Monroe says there has been some pushback to the effort to replace Columbus Day. She acknowledges that looking to the past can be painful, but she says everyone can benefit from a better understanding of the nation's history. I'm Catherine Carley. Spirit Rangers, the new children's TV series, debuted on Netflix Monday. The series is about three Native siblings who protect a national park, which is their home. Carissa Valencia is the creator and showrunner. It's coming to Netflix October 10th, Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, It's an animated preschool show following a modern Native American family of park rangers who live in a magical national park. The show is produced by Native writers and is voiced by Native actors. Ten episodes are now available to watch on Netflix. The Federal Emergency Management Agency has established a disaster hotline for Alaska residents impacted by the severe September storm. The storm devastated Alaska Native communities, displacing residents after their homes were flooded with water. Hurricane-force winds destroyed boats, and lack of electricity wiped out freezers full of food for the winter. 
According to FEMA, people impacted by the storm can apply for federal assistance by calling an Anchorage-based hotline or applying online. Assistance includes grants for temporary housing, home repairs, and other disaster-related needs, which may not be covered by insurance. Subsistence items lost or damaged may also be eligible for assistance. The state has a separate application process. People are being encouraged to apply for both federal and state aid. Some people may be referred to the Small Business Administration for long-term, low-interest disaster loans for businesses and nonprofits. The deadline to apply for the FEMA assistance is November 22nd. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976. From opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance. With offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Nevada County District 4 Supervisor Sue Hoke is hosting a town hall for the San Juan Ridge community on Monday, October 17th. The meeting will take place from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the North Columbia Schoolhouse Cultural Center on Tyler Foot Road. Several topics will be addressed, including Measure 5, the Wildfire Prevention Emergency Services and Disaster Readiness Measure, Law Enforcement, the Cannabis Ordinance, the Recreational Master Plan Process, which refers to discretionary projects for new development proposals in western Nevada County, including guidelines for trail development and programs to implement the regional trail system, noise complaints, the North San Juan Fire Suppression Project, and economic development efforts. The town hall will include brief presentations followed by a Q&A session. Event speakers include Sheriff Shannon Moon, Assistant County Executive Officer Caleb Dardick, and Office of Emergency Services Director Craig Greisbach. Members of the public are encouraged to submit questions in advance to bdofsupervisors at nevadacountyca.gov. For more information, email bdofsupervisors at nevadacountyca.gov or call 530-265-1480. This from Ubinet. California started the year with its driest four months on record. Snowpack in the Sierra Nevada was a small fraction of the historical average. Depleted reservoirs have led to restrictions on outdoor watering for millions of state residents. And a strange consequence of the state's shrinking bodies of water is the emergence of items previously hidden for decades. A World War II-era boat was hauled out of the dried muck at Lake Shasta, the latest historical reveal caused by the continuing drought. Shasta Trinity National Forest posted photos of the discovery Sunday morning on its Twitter page. The marking 3117 stamped on the side of the now rusted and deteriorated landing craft, 
confirms that it was assigned to the attack transport USS Monrovia, the Post states. USS Monrovia was launched in 1942, and among other duties, was used by General George S. Patton ahead of the invasion of Sicily in the summer of 1943. The Monrovia was decommissioned in October 1968 and sold for scrap. How the landing craft came to be in Lake Shasta and the circumstance of its sinking remain mysterious. This reported by the Press Democrat of Santa Rosa. A coalition of gambling companies led by DraftKings Inc. and FanDuel Group is pulling back on advertising for a ballot measure to legalize online sports betting in California, as polls show it's likely to lose. The Online Sports Betting Industries Initiative, known as Prop 27, has drawn about $402 million in fundraising, according to campaign finance records. The most fundraising in California's history. But the pro-Prop 27 campaign recently canceled about $11 million in broadcast TV and cable ads they had planned to run through Election Day, according to ad-buying data. This from the Wall Street Journal. Theater and history lovers gathered in front of the Nevada Theater Sunday morning for the unveiling and dedication of a plaque honoring Sally Lewis. The president of the Nevada Theater Commission, Jane Primrose, unveiled the plaque and read the tribute to Sally. Quote, This plaque is dedicated to Sarah Sally Lewis, the preservation pioneer of Nevada City and Nevada County. Lewis was also a founding member and the first chair of the Nevada County Historical Landmarks Commission, created by the Board of Supervisors in 1969. She served as chair until 1983, during which time over 30 landmarks were registered on the county, state, and federal preservation lists. Attendees of Sunday ceremony acknowledged Lewis's role in not only saving the theater from demolition, but in establishing the Nevada City Historic District. This report comes to us from the Nevada County Historical Landmarks Commission. According to Andrew Trigg, the Nevada County Fairgrounds Board President, Dale Chase was terminated as CEO of the NC Fairgrounds in a special board meeting on September 26th. Trigg states that since the development is a personal issue, no further information could be released. Chase was appointed CEO of Nevada County Fairgrounds in January of this year. Prior to obtaining this position, Chase had served as a bureau chief for the Department of Consumer Affairs in Sacramento. He also has a background in the entertainment industry with knowledge in pre-show production, security consulting, and event promotion. Trigg says the board hasn't discussed plans to recruit and hire the next CEO. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 57. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 82. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 20. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 38. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 72. The current air quality is good with an AQI average of 25. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 57. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 90. Current air quality is good with an AQ average of 26. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. When astronauts launch into space, they're allowed to bring a small amount of personal gear. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller comments on a piece of gear carried aboard by the commander of the most recent mission. When the latest crew launched to the International Space Station last Wednesday, 
The crew commander took with her, among other things, a gift from her mom, a dream catcher. Nicole Mann is a member of the Wailaki tribe, part of the Round Valley Indian Reservation in Mendocino County. The Marine fighter pilot is making the first trip into space by a Native American woman. A dream catcher, in my understanding, protects the sleeper not only from bad dreams, but from all sorts of things that might harm sleep or the sleeper. Guarding your sleep in space is wise. There's the obvious problem of packing a half dozen or so people into a small space, but there are also problems unique to sleeping or trying to sleep in space. One problem is knowing when it's bedtime. The space station circles the Earth in low orbit, 250 miles above the surface, traveling over 17,000 miles an hour, which takes it around the world in an hour and a half. And that, judging by the sun, means a complete day-night cycle in that hour and a half. One moment you see the sun rise and it beams through the window. 45 minutes later, the sun sets and it's darkness outside the station. And then, 45 minutes after that, the sun rises again. One sunrise, one sunset, every 92 minutes, 16 times a day. Deep in our brains, a very small cluster of neurons keeps track of what our eyes are seeing. To answer the question, is it day or is it night? This part of our brain sets our biological clock, telling our bodies when to warm up, when to cool down. We build parts of our immune system during the day while we're awake, other parts while we're asleep. Our biological clock tells us when to dream, when to shut down the dreams and drop into the deepest part of sleep. Suppose you're on the space station ready for sleep. You get into your sleeping bag, which is pinned to a wall. And that is as good as laying it out on the floor since there's no up or down in space. And that brings up more problems. For reasons not well understood, our bodies seem to need gravity. Living in zero-g, zero-gravity, plays games not just with sleep, but with all parts of the body. NASA funds research on the effects of zero-g. Researchers hire volunteers who get paid a fair amount of bucks to spend three months doing nothing. That's just it. They lie in bed 24-7, for three months, barely using their muscles, and they lose those muscles, and they lose the bones those muscles attach to. If exercise is good for the heart, good for the circulatory system, imagine what three months of total bed rest, three months in zero gravity, imagine what that does to your heart, your arteries. Astronauts spend at least two hours a day on exercise machines. And since you're not standing, not walking, just floating in space, zero-g really plays havoc with your sense of balance. NASA, space agencies around the world, are hoping to discover how to counteract, even prevent, the effects of living in zero gravity. With best wishes for the crews aboard the International Space Station and a productive Indigenous Peoples Day, for KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Monday, October 10th. Visit us online at kvmr.org and on Facebook and Instagram. 
KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Ghost Town Woodworks, handcrafting artisan furniture and tables utilizing sustainable, locally sourced native hardwoods. Also providing slab flattening and sanding services. Located off Loma Rica Road near the ReStore in Grass Valley. More information at G-H-O-S-T-O-W-N dot net. And Dignity Health, providing a comprehensive range of medical expertise. With doctors and hospitals focused on diagnosis and treatment. From minor health concerns to more complex conditions. Details at DignityHealth.org slash our locations. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in, and thank you to everyone who donated during our Fall Homegrown Radio Membership Drive. We really appreciate you, and I hope you got some of KVMR's sweet swag. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 7 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.